Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. All right, Mark, welcome to another great episode of Informed Dissent. Great to be with you. You too, Jeff. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. We're, you know, heading into February already. We've released a couple episodes. I'm super excited that we're getting tons of downloads, great feedback, and I think it's going to be a fantastic 2024. Who knew after two months of absence, our following would be so loyal that they returned instantaneously. We're back up to our our stats at the mid to late 2023. Yeah, I love it. You know, we're talking earlier before we went on the air about some of the technical challenges and various things that are kind of barriers in our way of ultimately being successful. And Natalie, our podcast producer, who you all will get to meet in an upcoming episode, she has the expression, and I think there's some accuracy to it, new levels, new devils. So as you're trying to accomplish something, there's more barriers that get in the way. And especially what we're doing is not just some random informational podcast. We really are exposing and talking about holistic health and bringing forward a new way of thinking that most people aren't used to. And a lot of the establishment in healthcare really don't want heard uh, because we're breaking a lot of those molds. I had, and still do, receive questions from audience members where I speak and emails of people who read something that I've posted And often the question is, can you explain why life is so difficult now for us? And us being people who are trying to speak the truth, trying to do good, trying to see through the the darkness. And I don't have a rational explanation for some of it. I do for a lot. And so I have reached the conclusion that ironically, the, the rational explanation sometimes lies in accepting the spiritual and that there may be a sinister force that has descended on us to push back against the fight for good and the fight for truth, because there's just too much coincidence to accept that that things have just failed for human reasons or that our technology is just incompetently managed. To me, the idea that there's just human error involved is, is not sufficient to explain the the efforts that we and others like Peter McCullough and Pierre Corey and Ryan Cole and other physicians and advocates for what I consider to be the good, you know, the honest, the truthful, why they faced so much opposition the last few years that I've never seen before in my lifetime. I've never seen good people being pushed back so forcefully and and in, in such uniformity. You're absolutely right. And those forces are still ever present and they aren't giving up. Nope. My holistic health nurse who helps me on social media on my Instagram chat groups sent me a video of the World Economic Forum recently, and I watched it. It's about 40 minutes long. It's an introductory video that has the various panelists that are participating, and they each give some opening comments. And I wanted to share a little bit with this with you. I don't know who's watching this, but as I listen to it, I'm like, are, are you kidding me? First of all, what is the World Economic Forum? I don't know. You would think it's a global group of people in the economic world that are discussing finances and banking and whatever. But no, the World Economic Forum, as it turns out, has a subsidiary that's called the Center for Health 
and Healthcare of the World Economic Forum. And the leader of this is a guy, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but it's Sham Bishen, S-H-Y-A-M, last name Bishem, be like boy, I-S-H-E-N. And he was the moderator of this. And one of the panelists was a lady named Nancy Brown. She's the CEO of all things of the American Heart Association. And she commented, I have nothing but the high, and I'm quoting, I have nothing but the highest regard for the Center for Healthcare of the World Economic Forum. Well, isn't that interesting that you would have such regard for that organization? Then, of course, on this panel as well was none other than Dr. Tedros, which with an unpronounceable last name, I won't even try. He is the Director General of the World Health Organization. And specifically, this panel was discussing Preparing for Disease X. That's the title of it. Preparing for Disease X. What's Disease X? What you may recall, a few years prior to COVID, Bill Gates held some sort of forum where they tabletopped out a scenario for what would they do if a virus you know, infected the whole world and how would they respond? And they basically mimicked and outlined exactly what happened during COVID. And if you didn't know better, although I'm not sure I do actually know better, you would think they were predicting what was going to come. And it makes you wonder if they knew what was going to come. So some of these comments that these folks made was crazy. And Tedros says something like, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, when the next disease state, the disease X hits. And then he says, the lockdowns were hard, but it was a decision that helped us. That's what he actually said. And then there was this lady that was the part of the Philippines healthcare system. She was on the panel. Her name was Roy J- Jacobs or something. And she said, this time everything was different. And she was referring to COVID. We can't treat patients like we used to. You can't just touch patients. You need to isolate them. Those were her words. The World Economic Forum, Center for Health and Healthcare. I don't know why there's anything under the economic forum that has anything to do with healthcare. Although, you know, we've seen now there's, I saw just recently that the first cap rate of a trillion dollars for a pharma company is about to hit the market, meaning there's a pharma company now that's going to be worth a trillion dollars. And it's so interesting. These are the same companies that push vaccines to create customers, to create solutions. It's sort of like the analogy I gave in an interview recently was imagine if an alcohol company also owned a chain of rehab centers. You know, they create the customer and then they create the cure. And you can't help wonder if that's actually what's going on. So don't forget that the money that creates the capitalization for these pharma companies isn't coming voluntarily out of the pockets of the users, meaning the citizens. It's actually coming forcibly out of their pockets through taxation and then funneled through a government that pays directly for these so-called vaccines and, and other other drugs if it's not a vaccine, it's a prescription, for example, that goes through Medicare or the doctors prescribe that goes through insurance. So it's not as if people are lining up for these products on their own. It's worse than a druggie lining up for heroin or cocaine. At least then you could say, well, he's doing it on his own. No one's putting the needle in his arm. I know that that's a bit trite because 
obviously addiction is a separate issue. People lose some of their self-control, but still there, there has to be a guy looking for the drugs, right? But what about these companies that are producing billions and billions of injections and needles and, and fake vaccines? We're not paying for them on our credit cards and out of our wallets. It's our governments that are paying for them. They're the, they're the ones that made these companies rich. So it really is a collusionary practice that's even even worse than the example you describe about alcohol and rehab. At least you don't have to go into rehab unless you're an alcoholic. But if you're a human being and you want to have a job, or if you're a foreign citizen and you want to become a resident permanently in the United States, you must receive an injection. You can't become a permanent resident in the United States today without voluntarily being injected with one of these so-called COVID vaccines. The federal government won't allow it. I mean, that's a level of authoritarianism slash economic collusion that I've never seen in modern history. What happened to my body, my choice? Well, that went out the window the moment that the government announced that we were under attack from a foreign virus. Totally inconsistent, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And in this World Economic Forum Summit, Dr. Tedros, again, he's the Council General of the World Health Organization. Keep in mind, this is the same World Health Organization that told us uh, this virus out of China came from a bat, the same World Health Organization that applauded China's response to COVID. And remember, China's response was they literally locked citizens into their homes and did not let them come out. Same World Health Organization that told us not to worry that this virus wasn't contagious person to person, and the same World Health Organization that continues to deny that this was created by gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Virology Lab. But while Dr. Tedros was talking, he also told us that we need to sign off all the countries that were part of it. Remember, America is part of this World Economic Forum. The American Medical, or rather the American Heart Association CEO was part of the panel. They tell us that we need to sign the pandemic agreement, and the, the deadline is May of 2024. And the pandemic agreement is all the major countries from around the world to agree to allow the World Health Organization to have centralized control if there is another pandemic. And Dr. Reddy, the Indian healthcare ministry, in talking about lessons learned, said one of the lessons learned is we need to really focus on her words, not mine, gender e equity. I don't actually even know what that means. And then the Brazilian Ministry of Health Systems, uh, Lima, she spoke through a translator because she was speaking Portuguese. Apparently, she doesn't know how to speak English. But nonetheless, she said societies need to learn that it is uh, difficult for the world and that we need to clean up the, the inequalities among countries. So meaning the rich countries now have to pony up and pay the poorer countries, and we need to put the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum through this agreement in charge if there ever is another pandemic. And keep in mind, this disease X, they kept saying over and over, may not necessarily be an infectious disease like COVID. They reference things like it could be a global catastrophe like climate change that many of them referenced as if it's a significant problem that we also need to focus on. So here we go again, not an infectious disease this time, but according to them, 
equally and perhaps even more deadly, and that is the deadly sin of global warming. As I guarantee all these leaders, this was held in Davos, of course, where else? All these leaders flew there on their private jets to lecture the masses on how we need to change for the greater good of of the world. It's a pretext, clearly. We don't even have a disease yet. Uh, We don't even have a global climate catastrophe yet. But they're insisting that we will. And if we don't, they'll create one. And then they'll turn to the agreement that everyone was strong-armed into signing as a legal rationale for internationalizing the government and removing the rights of sovereign nations to make decisions for their people. At that same World Economic Forum that you're citing and quoting from, one of the delegates from Switzerland announced that he wished to prohibit all people from any country around the world from further drinking coffee. Why would he want to do that? What would be the rationale for that? Just to kill no, joy? No, no, Mark. You're, you were watching the Babylon B conference, right? Sometimes I can't tell them apart, so I have to do screen share on right and left side to make sure I'm looking at the right one. Well, the reason for his request, which will certainly evolve into a demand and then an order and then a threat, is that drinking coffee produces CO2, which destroys the climate. The cynical response is, well, all of the so-called sustainably grown coffee around the world is produced by poor people who are now earning $20 an hour because we're subsidizing their 20 cent per day stipend in their home countries with all of these uh, eco-friendly green sustainability initiatives. Fine. You know, we have the choice to not buy expensive coffee. That's certainly a voluntary decision. I think it's silly to pay $20 a pound for coffee, but people do it. But isn't it interesting that the World Economic Forum, which is supposedly based on gender equality, as you say, and economic equality, is ordering soon everyone to stop drinking expensive coffee, which will then impoverish the very people that they say need to be lifted out of poverty on the pretext that drinking coffee destroys the environment. And isn't it also possible that really what they want to do because they did it in 2020 and 2021 and 2022, is to destroy all of the small independently owned and operated businesses like the poor independently owned and operated coffee farmers around the world so that the World Economic Forum and its international conglomerates can swoop in, scoop up all of the coffee fields, turn them into giant factories, and then produce coffee whose profits go to them. And then announced that they're using a sustainable CO2 capture device that keeps the coffee from polluting the environment while we spend all of our money and ship it over to the three or four people that run the WEF in Davos. I think that's ultimately what they want to do. They want to destroy our rights, take away our freedoms, truly impoverish the impoverished even more than they are now, and then all do it on the, the pretext that they're saving the planet. The whole thing is based on a lie and it is destructive, and it should be resisted at every turn. Yeah, I don't know. I think coffee is a bridge too far. Them fighting words, they just don't want to get rid of coffee. You know, Next, they'll want to ban alcohol of sorts as well. And we tried that once in the United States, and that didn't work out too well. And I think you know, the, if the Boston Tea Party was one thing, there's going to be quite the coffee party if they try to get rid of coffee. Well, just think so, of all those 
middle-aged, wealthy, white, liberal women fighting tooth and nail for the Stanley Cups at Target. Tell them that they can't fill their Stanley <laughs> Cup with coffee. God knows what they'll turn into. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. And then, meanwhile, I don't know if you caught this the other day. There was an article, Epic Times, that the FDA quietly came out with a new rule. And their new rule was if they deem something as um, minimally harmful, that they're going to waive informed consent rights for ongoing drug studies. So if they think that a drug is minimally harmful to humans, then no longer will be, there be the standard of informed consent. And of course, they don't define what they mean as minimally harmful. It's just a word in the paper. And so just to remind everybody, one of the studies that was done that millions of people participated in is they approved under emergency use authorization, the COVID vaccine, Pfizer, when it first came out. So in effect, as they rolled this out, it was a worldwide study under the guise of emergency use authorization. And so I could easily see in the future that a vaccine comes out and the FDA says it's minimally harmful. Therefore, informed consent is not necessary. And if you were to check into the hospital, either voluntarily need a new hip or hernia surgery or what have you, or not voluntarily, you're in a car crash and you end up in the hospital or you're ill, that they could easily put a needle in your arm without your consent because the FDA has said that this product is minimally invasive and minimally harmful. Therefore, informed consent is no longer necessary. There already, I think, is a movement of people that no longer trust physicians and rightfully so. And in particular, they no longer trust going to the hospital because they're scared that more harm is going to come to them than, than good. I know some attorneys that are suing hospitals because of their use of remdesivir with minimal consent on the part of the COVID patient. And we're scaring people away, and maybe rightfully so, from places that ultimately could be helpful to them. There are some statistics out there that show, and, and you know, I understand it. Statistics, you can depends on how you look at them, but nonetheless, that show it's possible the top ten leading cause of death is actually medical error that occurs in doctors' offices and hospitals. So there's this growing mistrust, and I'm one of those people who mistrust most people in centralized, especially government-run medical care. A growing mistrust of medical care, and we have earned that with the help of pharma, with the help of government, there's a hunger out there for holistic integrative care of doctors that will work with patients to teach them how to take care of themselves without the need of pharmaceutical products, without the need of interventions that otherwise are not necessary. So that's what I'm looking forward to in 2024 is ramping up that narrative and that discussion and that educational platform that we have here and elsewhere to teach patients how to take care of themselves because we were born to heal. And if we put the right products in our body and de-stress and detoxify and so forth, our bodies have a remarkable ability to heal themselves. And I think the more we can get away from interventions and in particular pharmaceutical interventions, the better off we are. One of the benefits that the non-corporatized, non-affiliated healthcare practitioners have over that group is that by and large, what they propose doesn't hurt you. I still am not convinced that much of what they propose is all that helpful. In many cases, it's simply benign. 
but they're already ahead of the game as long as they don't harm you. When you go to the doctor right now or to, like you said, a hospital, the likelihood that you will leave worse off if you can leave at all and not die in the hospital, it's really pretty low. People that go into the hospital tend to get sick when they're there. They tend to be given treatments like remdesivir that cause permanent irreparable harm to their body, if not kill them, and forced to do things like wear masks, which make them more sick, contract more disease, decrease their oxygenation levels in their brain, and then are recommended for in enormously expensive and extensive drug regimens and sometimes surgeries, which wind up costing them even more years of their life. So a lot of people are worried not that they're going to go to the doctor and the doctor is not going to be able to help them. They're worried that they're going to go to the doctor and the doctor is going to actually cause them harm. And that was never a big issue years and years ago. It was a minor issue. And most of the time, those doctors were called out and had their licenses revoked. But now it seems like the standard of care is to first not do no harm, but it's to first hurt your patient and to help support and tow whatever the, the line is you're getting from your employer or your agency or your government. The people who are truly independent, they're not all great practitioners that are going to help people. Some of them are just kind of kooky. But I at least trust them that they're not actually in bed with someone else to try to harm me. And that already puts them ahead of the game in my, in my view. Oh, no question. I was at a seminar recently with a chiropractor friend. It was on holistic health. And specifically, we were educating the audience. And we had a packed house about vaccines, various kind, COVID and childhood vaccines and so forth. And this chiropractor, Billy DeMoss, uh, he put up this this slide, part of his PowerPoint, and it was by Huxley. And it said, medical science has made such tremendous progress that there is hardly a healthy human left. <laughs> I think there's some truth to that. I mean, it, it's not my opinion. Look up the data. If you're listening to this, Google, what percent of Americans have a chronic illness? And I think it's 60% of Americans have at least one chronic illness and something like 40% have two or more. And the obesity rate of children is something like 30 or 40%. So, you know, definitionally, if you have a chronic illness, you're not healthy. Why does 60% of America have a chronic illness? Because we suck how we take care of ourselves and in part because we've been taught things that simply aren't so. We've been taught how to eat processed foods, seed oils, too much sugar. We've vaccinated a generation now to get to 18, to get to high school. You need, I think it's around 75, 80 different separate injections in your arm. It never used to be that way. Many of these vaccines are completely unnecessary, regardless of how you feel about vaccines. And the CDC today has, not today, but recently has added the COVID vaccine to the childhood immunization schedule that every six months, a child should get an updated booster. Never mind that children aren't at risk for COVID-19. Never mind that there isn't a single healthy child less than 18 that has died from COVID and that every death from under 18 has been in somebody that has had significant comorbidities. And again, Please don't believe me. Do the research. Google the following. COVID deaths 
by age, CDC COVID deaths by age. And you'll see last time I checked, it was about 1,500 people throughout the pandemic, less than 18, has died of COVID. Those numbers are tiny. You have a, a child has a greater risk of drowning in a pool or dying in a car accident than they do of dying from COVID-19. Their risk is much higher of being injured by the COVID vaccine than being injured by COVID itself. But the CDC that we're supposed to trust, no longer many Americans trust, is supposed to have our back and tell us the truth and put out guidelines that make common sense, and they don't anymore. And if they've got it so wrong recommending a six-month-old get a COVID vaccine, what else have they gotten wrong? And what else should you not believe and be very skeptical when the CDC talks? So they've done this to themselves, and rightfully so. These organizations like the CDC, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, the NIH, National Institutes of Health, all these organizations, in my opinion, should be defunded, reorganized, and reestablished. They should be run by people that are elected, not by the administrative state, which is the case now. They should be funded only by taxpayer dollars, not by industry. And once we get those two things right, maybe then and only then can they rebuild the trust of the American people. It seems to me that if they were doing a good job, that our life expectancy would be going up, not down, and that the bulk of illness would be at the end stage of life, not in childhood and young adulthood. And the opposite is, in fact, happened. We used to have the longest life expectancy of any country in the world. We're now falling behind some of the second and third tier countries, which tells you something is wrong. And worse than that, as you pointed out, it's not that our life expectancy only is going down. It's that people who are not at the end stage of life are becoming more sick. We didn't have childhood obesity epidemic in the 50s and 60s. We didn't have people in their early teens and young 20s suffering from massive outbreaks of neurodegenerative conditions of unknown origin. We didn't have people getting heart attacks and strokes in their 20s and 30s who were, who were fit, seemingly fit. That's all happening now due to a combination of poor education, bad food, lack of good movement and exercise, high stress, as you pointed out, and these horrible interventions from drugs and fake vaccines and unnecessary surgeries that are making people sicker than ever. So we're clearly doing something wrong. And it seems to me that unless that point is accepted, there's no way that we can actually move the ball forward, continuing to reinvest and double down in the institutions that have created this problem is the exact wrong approach. And that's exactly what we're being told to do by the WEF. In fact, take it to another level. It's not only are we supposed to double down on our our individual domestic bad policy. We're supposed to up the ante and add those policies and, and group them together into one giant international bundle that's even more distant from our own states of accountability. I think, and this is true for, for economics as well, it's where it really started, but I think it's true for every major problem. The bigger and more centralized the source of power, the worse off you are. That could be a corporation, that could be a government, that could be a healthcare policy, an educational system. I think that in general, the more that we localize and decentralize things, all things, especially healthcare, education, finances, politics, the better off we're going to be. I think the only thing that I can even 
come up with as an example that we're better off centralizing would be the national military force. I can't think of really anything else. Well, what else you, do you we know, well, it is it is centralized. Our military is centralized, but look what our military has become. Our military has become a laughing woke joke right now. I fear for the next world war. Will we actually be prepared? Oh, I know our special operators, Navy SEALs and, you know, Marine Recon and so forth. I know those guys are badass and they're well-trained, but the rank and file as they talk about the transgender policies in the military as the physical fitness criteria to maintain readiness in the military dropped. I'm worried about our centrally controlled military. I'm not sure it's doing the job that we want it to do. Our military is the smallest it's been. Recruiting is at the lowest level it's been. We're sending all our supplies and ammunition over to Ukraine. We don't have enough for our own military. As things get very hot in the Middle East, which could very well be the center of the next world war, and during all this time, we've got the World Economic Forum that's telling us to stop drinking coffee. So, you know, listen, as we conclude this episode, you know, Dennis Prager, for both of us, have, have become somewhat of a friend and a mentor. And you don't smoke cigars, but I do. And I'm always envious that Dennis gets all these free cigars sent to him. He hasn't had to buy a cigar since, you know, he was a, he was a teenager. So rather than solicit cigars, I'd like to suggest to our listeners that you mail Mark and I coffee because it may end up in short supply. So I'm not going to hoard toilet paper, but I think I am going to start hoarding coffee. So send it our way, whole bean. I prefer it dark roasted. <laughs> but not French no. roasted because that's oily and, and bitter. I'm not, I'm not actually, I'm, I'm only partially kidding. But, you know, I don't know, Mark, there's so much to talk about in 2024 and we've got some great guests that will be coming up. And I'm just glad that we have this forum and this platform to vent about all that's going on. And I, I hope we're making a difference in some people's lives. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to roll on until somebody shuts us down. And if we are, please let us know, because we're sitting here talking to ourselves. If we get your comments and let us know what is helping you, it will make us also feel gratified that we're doing good and guide us to proper and helpful information and usefulness for the listeners. Absolutely. And tune in next time because we're going to introduce you to Natalie, who is our is our new podcast producer. She is fantastic. And we'll talk a little bit more about um, how you can sponsor Informed Dissent Media. We love your sponsorship. We've got great opportunities for you to do that. And Mark, we will see you again soon. That's all. All right. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.